Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Welcome back to the Corner of Truth and Courage. Thank you for joining us here once again. We begin our programs and uh, refer to ourselves at Fortress of Faith that we meet at the Corner of Truth and Courage. We speak the truth of Christianity, the truth of the Bible, that there is only one true God of heaven, and he revealed himself through one holy book called the Bible. And there were about 40 different men that God used to pen down God's word. We were told that if anyone adds to this book, in the book of Revelation, the very last book, that as God was closing his written word to us, that if anyone adds to it, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. May the curses of this book be upon them. Within God's written word, he also gave warnings that there would be false prophets, there would be others who would come and claim that they had a word of God. Now, how would we know that they were truly God's prophet? Well, that they would speak with what was already given, that it would be consistent. We were to test it with what was already given. And if anyone preaches any other Jesus or any other gospel, they were anathema, accursed, and were to mark them and avoid them. And so here on this program, here at Fortress of Faith, we speak the truth with courage. And sadly, we live in a day where it's okay for you to have the truth, but just don't speak about it. You know, keep it to yourself. Don't, uh, don't share it. And a lot of Christians have become cowards. I'm afraid one of our biggest problems in America today is that many of our pulpits are filled with preachers with the backbone of a banana peel. They're cowards instead of courageous. And if the preacher is going to be a coward, then the congregation is likely going to be the same because that's probably who they hired on purpose because they don't want someone to stand up and preach boldly the Word of God. Well, here at this program, here at Fortress of Faith, we're going to call sin, sin. We're going to call evil, evil. We're going to call false religion, false religion. And we've been looking for the last few days at the religion of Islam and the Quran. And I wrote a book a couple of years ago, The Quran on Trial. And in a moment, in a few days, we're going to get into some very, very cutting-edge stuff. When we get to the originals of the Quran, they claim that there are four originals were made, and two of them still are in existence today. We're going to analyze that here in a moment, that claim. Another claim of Islam is that they have the perfect Quran, the very same Quran that, that God gave the prophet Muhammad through the angel Gabriel, reads today as it did from the original one. Now, that's not too hard to check it out, because the, what they claim to be the originals have finally been allowed to be scrutinized and looked at and read, and it's clear that the Quran today is not the same as the Quran 1,400 years ago. So there's been some changes along the way, and this is very problematic for the Muslims. There are many, many variants, and we're going to get into one of the, the, the beginning parts of these variants, of these problems. And it started even during the day of Muhammad, because when Muhammad taught his, his disciples, his companions, 
the Quran. You see, he couldn't write it down. He wasn't um, literate. He couldn't read or write. And that wasn't unusual for the people of Arabia during that time. There were no books yet in Arabia. There hadn't been yet one book in Arabic yet. The Arabic language was still beginning. They were really using the Nabataean text. And so the Arab form that we know today was still forming. They didn't even have vowels until 100 years after Muhammad. And so Muhammad couldn't read or write. That doesn't mean he was dumb. Don't make the mistake in thinking that he was a dumb or stupid or anything like that. I think actually he had to have a brilliant mind to have memorized these lengthy, lengthy passages, and to repeat them again and again and again to his followers and teach them was nothing short of a brilliant mind. And so he had a, a, you know, this is probably why he was so influential, because he could recite lengthy passages and stories, and, and those would probably marvel at that and think, wow, this must be of God because this guy's got some great mental capacities. Well, we found we found that there are people, I mean, there's, there are people out there who memorize the whole Bible and can recite it uh, verse by verse. Now, I struggle. I've, you know, I've memorized some chapters of the Bible and many passages of the Bible, a lot of passages out of the Quran of late and other, uh, uh, the Sirah and the, the Sharia law and different things there. And so I do have some mind to, to, to memorize somewhat lengthy passages, but not like Muhammad had. So they carried things down with oral traditions. They sat around the campfire. They didn't have TV. They didn't have video games to play and stuff. And so they entertained themselves by telling stories. And if you're a good storyteller, man, it made you popular. So Muhammad, when he began to give his recitings, what he said was God's word, that he got these from from a jinn. And I don't doubt for a moment that Muhammad felt that he was communing with a spirit and getting these revelations. The Bible told us that the devil can appear like an angel from heaven. And so as I said, we were warned about these things. And if it doesn't match up to what was delivered before, then we know that there are false prophets. So this is why I say with every confidence and why you should be able to say as a Christian, with every confidence that Muhammad was not God's prophet, he was a false prophet, he was misguided and deceived himself. And I think also he added a little bit of deception himself because I think he had to know that he couldn't be God's prophet by because of the wickedness that he was involved in. But anyhow, that's for another day. So let's look at these oral transmissions that he gave. There's a problem. He didn't teach his people one pure verse of the Quran, when it was all said and done, at his death, there were seven different versions of the Quran, and we have the record of that in the Hadith. Now, I told you here on Monday that these Hadiths were collected, these traditions were collected 100 to 200, sorry, 200 to 300 years after Muhammad had died, and so we have great suspicion of their authenticity, but nevertheless, it is the official record. There's nothing else to tell us. The only earliest version is from the Sirah from Ibn Ishaq. That's about 100 years removed after Muhammad. And exaggerations are born even in the lifetime of, of uh, man, uh, much less 100 years later. But um, let me read to you. It's a bit lengthy. 
actually, because of time, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into all of it, but this is out of, of a Saigi Muslim's collection. He's quoting one of the companions of Muhammad, uh, Ubay. And let me, let me read uh, a, p- a portion of this. Says, I was in the mosque when a man entered and prayed and recited the Quran in a style w- to which I objected. Then another man entered the mosque and recited in a different, in a style different than from uh, his, uh, uh, than of his companion. When he had finished the prayer, we all went to Allah's messenger, peace upon him, and said, "This man recited in a style to which I objected, and the other entered and recited in a style different from that of his companion." So, we've got three different versions. We've got Ube's version. And he's praying in the mosque, and another person comes in, and he's reciting his uh, uh, his rendition of this version, and it's different from his. And he said, "That can't be right. You know, this is how it's supposed to be said." And then later on, another a third man comes in and recites his passage, which is different from the other two. So all three of them trot down to the Prophet Muhammad and say, "Okay, who's correct here? Clearly." Not all of us can be, right? You know, because God's word is supposed to be holy and inerrant without uh, division and, and, and anything wrong there. So one of us has it wrong. Uh, which one? And so Muhammad listened to each one of them. And after each one had finished, he said, that was correct. And the next one recited his version. And he said, that was correct. And he recited, and then the third one came in, recited his differently from the other two. And Muhammad told him that his verse was correct as well now hold on a minute three different recitings and muhammad then uh, confers on them that they were all correct and then he explains that he had prayed to allah about this that there were different versions around there and that uh, and and i quote make things easy for my people so in other words we don't have to be so accurate. One group, one tribe may have learned it dialect a different way than another. And that's okay for these changes. We don't have to make it hard on them. Make it easy, basically, is what he's saying. And in the Sayyid Muslim, they confess here that there were seven different dialects, different versions of the Quran. Now, this proposes a huge problem because when we get to the next stage, when the caliphs, who are the successors of Muhammad, come along, they've got division. There's not one Quran, there's seven. And they're trying to make, bring it into one Quran, one perfect Quran, and to do away with some of this division and this issue. And we'll talk about how what rules they followed, what rules were dictated, and so on there, which brings us to the biggest, I think, question, because as we've been talking, as I wrote this book, is the Quran the work of a divine God, or is it the work of man? Are men working and deciding what is God's word, or is God clear on what is his word? Well, apparently we've got some confusion because there's seven different versions and Muhammad's solution to it is that they're all correct now for us here in the west that's clearly not a a satisfactory answer 
But then again, we're thinking with a Western mind, not an Eastern mind. You see, for people in the East, that's not as problematic for them as it is for us because we think with logic. We think with, with reasoning. But the Middle Eastern mind doesn't work the same way. What is revealed is the way it is. It doesn't matter whether they can reason it or make it logic. Now, in a way, we here in the West, we can understand that to some extent because of the power and the miracle of God. If God does something miraculous, we may not be able to explain how, other than God is all-powerful and all-knowledgeable and he can do everything. Let me give you an example. Jonah being swallowed by a whale. Some people, for some reason, think that is an impossible feat, even though we've had other historical records of that happening there. But but let's say, let's take it a step further. Let's say in the Bible, now it doesn't say this, but let's say it did, that if the Bible told us that Jonah swallowed the whale, now us logically, we'd say, well, that, that couldn't happen. But if God created the ability for him to do so, therefore it could be possible. So we accept things by faith that when God enters in, he can go beyond the natural, beyond the explainable and do something. So with God, we'll accept it because it's been revealed to us that's what happened. That's how, but the Western mind just works completely on what's revealed, not what can be reasoned. Well, I looked at the clock. I didn't get a chance to tell you about our fundraising campaign, but we're going to have to stop there, and we'll get back more into this in tomorrow's broadcast. I hope you join us. God bless you.